Metal Podcast episode 59, Asphyx. Symptoms of moving our diseases. The number of infected ones increases. Here it goes towards the human race. Death is most efficient waste. Ghastly creatures. A time spicy gate filled. Objective vectors. Crawling and fermenting dirt. Sit on infection Wallowing a stinking slime Malicious horror Still an infected by Asphyx on the Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. 
And uh, this is our first venture into the Netherlands, into the de- the Dutch death metal scene. Yeah, I don't think we've done uh, anything with Thanatos or Gorefest or Not Pestilence. A- Pestilence Not- is the only one we may have done by this point, but we haven't we haven't ventured into that territory yet. So uh, I've always been more of an Asphyx fan. Yeah, yeah, and definitely uh, I'm a uh, latecomer to the band. Um, a Johnny come lately, as they say. Oh, they, for all intents and purposes, I mean, they were done by, like, 1993. And by the time I started hanging out with you guys, they weren't entering into the kind of conversation. I mean, you guys would be talking about bands that were putting new material out, you know, the sure, well, they, Tiamat's Amorphosis. Yeah, they put out... Well, um, uh, okay, I mean, they still had records they put out. Yeah, there's right? a self-titled Asphyx that came out. This is all post-Martin uh, Van Drunen once he took off. And uh, Embrace, Embrace of, of Death, Death and then God Cries, which... I mean, they're, they're okay, but they just... Uh, Van Duren was such an uh, integral part of that group that, at least for, for me, um, once he left it, it kind of, was kind of lacking something. And I haven't heard those other ones, uh, so I, you know, I, I'm just kind of taking Mark's word for it. But you don't hear them mentioned in the same breath as do the, the Martin Van Drunen records, which is The Rack and, and Last One on Earth, uh, which are kind of the two essential, you know... Yeah, as well and as the, the Crush the Cenotaph EP. And there's also the Crush the Cenotaph demo uh-huh. as well. And, be, the, and, the, and some of the live recordings, and uh, you're going to talk about the uh, In the Eyes of Death compilation as well. So Yeah. But uh, Vermin is is from their debut, right? Their debut, debut the rack, the, the rack, um, and that came out when ninety. Came out uh, nineteen ninety one. Uh, ninety one is it? Ninety one with all the other the first wave of uh, Central Media stuff, basically. Sure. And I, kind of on on this, uh, just real quickly, the the kind of track listing that we came up with today is very similar to their live show that they did at, at the uh, Maryland Death Fest what a couple weeks ago. Sure. Well, three weeks. By the time by the time you hear this, it will be many. It would have been in weeks. sometime yeah. in May. Yeah. Yes. But uh, yeah, the Death Fest set list was uh, was Vermin, MS Bismarck, Sickening Dwell, and then they p- played uh, Eisen Bon Moser, which was uh, something off their new album that's coming out. Uh, Death the Brutal Way, which is, should probably actually already be out by the time this yep. podcast is on. And yep. unfortunately, we don't have any. Uh, we don't have access to it right now. No. And then we had the Crusher uh, Abomination Echoes from the Crusher Cenotaph demo of '89, uh, and then they played Forgotten War. Uh, as fixed the Forgotten War, and I believe, I actually they did play Wasteland Terror and the Rack. Yeah, and yeah. but they just got cut short. I think they were going to play a couple encores, but yeah. Mayhem were a hole. So, <laughs> oh well. So that's how it goes. But that's a Mayhem for you. Yeah. But yeah, basically it started with '87. Uh, um, Bob Backus, the drummer, and uh, Tony Brookhus. Brookhus. Uh, Brookhus. Uh, I don't have. Dutch down. Then. Yeah, I believe he was a bass player, and uh, Eric Daniels, who was kind of one of the major, I think, one of the major songwriters, and he was he's been a guitarist basically through. Uh, I believe he was with them up until the band ended in like 2000 or something, yeah. where they stopped recording. Uh, but then 91 is when Ben Dronin kind of came in after his uh, stint in Pestilence, you know, mm-hmm. for those two records. And um, he wasn't really with the band very long. They've never played. This was the first time in May that they actually played the U.S. Yeah. And I know they did brief little stints around, like, I think with obituary and stuff uh, in the early 90s, but Van Duren was gone in 92. Yeah. So, I mean, they were kind of, this was, yeah, he did uh, did that Comic-Con Converging Conspiracies and toured from 95 to 97 with Baltor, and then all his hair fell out. (laughs) This is is, uh, stories, I don't know, he had some kind of illness where his hair fell out, and then he didn't want to tour anymore, but I think a lot of it had to do with he didn't feel like he was part of Baltor. Yeah. He was just there as as the front man, but he didn't. I don't think he, he felt like because I mean that's a pretty tight group. You've been in these guys for 
22 years or something i don't yeah. at this point it'd probably been about 15 years the band had been together since like 86 mm-hmm. so uh, i could see where that and he was he's kind of a strong personality as well he's a unbelievable front man when we saw him live he was great like and, and we got an opportunity to kind of like talk to him before he went on and he he performed both with Asphyx, and now he's uh, obviously in Hell of Bullets as well. Which is, for all intents and purposes, like Asphyx. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of a new version of Asphyx. It's got yeah, two guys from uh, from Thanatos um, on guitars and Ed uh, from Gorefest on drums. Is, it, is Ed Warby? Is that right? I can't remember. That's eh, Ed from Gore, Ed, from X Gorefest. Yeah, X Gorefest. But it's really, I mean, it's it's basically it's kind of this fix produced a little bit more, and it's all kind of like a war. Yeah, bend to it's all about World War stuff. Two and stuff. And we talked about Hail of Bullets on our uh, year end show because they were one of our year our best end, of yeah, yeah. Our best of the two thousand eight. But uh, you know, my impressions of his fix, you know, and and Martin when we met him, he, he was a really super friendly guy. He's he's very tall. He's uh, very energetic on stage. He really got the crowd just. I mean, the response to his fix was pretty huge. Seeing as how they, you know, they've never toured here and they really haven't. Put nobody's anything. known anything of of real merit since you know the early '90s, mm-hmm. and it's, it was kind of surprising to get that kind of response. To well, I think what you know what you heard there on Vermin and stuff is is you're talking about a band that has a, a simplistic kind of Celtic Frost based sound mm-hmm. that comes across in a live setting very well. I mean, they they sound it. Well, they, they, they absolutely had, fantastic. Yeah, they actually, they, you could, the songs like would breathe a little bit. Sure. Yeah, because after a while, like I think Chris was even saying, like, man, it's nice just to hear somebody like hold an open note for yeah. a while instead of just all this crazy technicality or just super fast stuff like Immolation was doing and in, in, in some of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it they kind of drag that used on to after be a while, the metal you know? fest that was like Immolation style all day, which I actually kind of have a newfound appreciation for the band. But that when you hear forty bands that have that kind of constant. Uh, bombardment of sound it gets really old really quick sure and bands like Asphyx Hail of Bullets and Bolt Thrower in particular those three mm-hmm. <clears throat> especially Bolt Thrower and Asphyx stood out to me as the highlights of the whole Maryland Death Fest and if uh, some of you I'm sure are listening were, got an opportunity to be there mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping you would probably agree well hopefully uh, if Napalm probably would be the third those would probably be the sure. three that put on the, the best you know shows um, yeah, I mean, uh, seeing yeah, because we can we can this doesn't have to be strictly just a fix because we didn't really cover much of no. the metal fest outside of uh, well, have, probably, hopefully by this time if you're listening to this, we'll have the video up, yeah, and we'll have a little bit of commentary on that and a, a couple blog posts. But, but by now, there's photos up that, that we'll yeah, and I'm and sure stuff. there's probably you know blog posts at nauseum talking about the thing. But you know, uh, atheist was it was interesting to see, but. It, it was okay. It was. It didn't like completely blow me away because I'm not a huge. I've never been a huge atheist fan. I, I respect I, what they do. I but. dug the stuff that I recognize. You know, when they play stuff off Unquestionable President, Piece of Time near the end, I kind of sure. grew down. And you know. Kelly Schaefer has this weird Eminem kind of quality now that kind of bothered me for some reason. Yeah, but he definitely. Tony Choi yeah. was unbelievable. Oh God, you've seen him awesome. pull all that stuff off. He he had a really. You can tell the guy like plays live a lot. He's mm-hmm. got a really good stage presence. The guitarist on the other hand was a little off <laughs> yeah i think a lot of the bands that afternoon were sort of off i think you know Na- oh, to do, napalm to was the first band that kind of got their sound right because brutal truth was really great to watch but their sound oh. sucked you know yeah and kevin sharp was drunk off his ass well he, he, do, he doesn't he doesn't like performing live so i think it was just sort of part of the the shtick if you will yeah the, yeah, the liquid courage he needs to get to yeah. get rolling but uh yeah i mean it was I mean, it was well worth it just to see a handful of bands, really. Sure. You know, we got to see us fix uh, Friday night. It was, mm-hmm. was kind of the big highlight. And then uh, Saturday, you know, I mean, it was unfortunate that Pig Destroyer was playing at the same time as Atheist. And so I kind of took the logic that the odds are of me seeing Atheist again are slim to none, whereas Pig Destroyer, 
seems like they're kind of setting themselves up for a consistent career, sure. you know, a la Dillinger, Isis, you know, yeah. something like that. So I was like, well, you know, I'll check out Pig Destroyer as soon as Atheist is done. And Pig Destroyer, from what I heard, sounded great, but unfortunately yeah, they were right. in that inner stage, which was packed like a sardine and hotter than hell. Yeah. And so my incentive to want to be in there and, and like kind of be in that sweaty environment compared to being outside where at least you could breathe you know yeah i, I think the whole i mean I'm, I'm kind of thinking that like the whole open air festival is a good idea because actually the sound it didn't it wasn't so like pummeling either no like i mean yeah of course you wear earplugs and everything but still it was like nice to have like air movement yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it was it was cool and i mean i i gotta give props after many years of going to milwaukee and then going to new jersey festival um which I think are all Jack Ka- Jack Koshik productions. Yeah, which you know I'll go on the air and say he's a he's a raging asshole, and yeah. you can uh, you can quote me on that one. And the fests that he puts on are not for the fans; they're for him to make money. And well, I feel it's, like the people, it's the pay to play thing, yeah. which there was no pay to play. People yeah. were well taken care of. The uh, I mean, they had free water for God's sake. I mean, when does that ever happen? <laughs> I know. And that you was could uh, you could buy uh, earplugs, which I, maybe that's a new thing, but it was like a dollar for a set of earplugs, which is like okay. Plus, you could come and go as you want it to, which was yeah. really nice. I mean, we would leave and go to the drugstore and get like vitamin waters and stuff just mm-hmm. to get a snack, you know. And so there was just a, there was a certain amount of freedom in the two. The two kids that started this, they're metal fans, you know, and so they, from what I gather, they're pretty young still. They're yeah. in their early twenties, I so think. It's pretty pretty hip of them, and so you know. And I, I mean, if you're especially if you're a, a record enthusiast or metal collector, uh, they had a fantastic kind of showroom of all that stuff. Although there was there was something odd that Mark and I both noticed is like each of them had like the same sets of CDs, except for like a few like little gems that you could find if you dug in. But it I, seemed I like think a lot of that, I was asking the guy about the records and, uh, cause I get a bunch of like, you know, demonical and, uh, like some evil, uh, evocation, death evocation, all the evocation, oh, evocation the, the Swedish band. Yeah. Like uh, that, like disrupt and stuff is all like 10 bucks a piece, which is mm-hmm. kind of absurd. And they're like, Oh, we, we trade with other labels. So like everybody's that, trading the same garbage with each other, basically. It seemed like, I mean, cause there was, there was some really good stuff, but it wasn't like it used to be where there was just like bizarre stuff all over the place. And you could find all these gems and stuff. I felt like it was a much harder to find like the gems this year. I mean, there were some cool things that we found, but yeah, it was no, either like, like completely oh, out of print. Awesome. You know, like those, that those days are over with, with eBay and all that stuff. I think, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, basically this was like the reissue thing, yeah. like that Swedish uh, crematory that we picked up. And, uh, I mean, just like Nomenon, like a, a, there's a lot of like that resurgent of uh, you know old school death metal kind of stuff that was really nice to sure. to get Funerarium and stuff like that. And speaking of old school death metal, we've got a we've fix. got a fix, which and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, we just heard a little bit off the rack, the rack, but first we're gonna go back even a little before that to 1991 to Wasteland of Terror off of the In the Eyes of Death compilation, which is back when compilations I think were like unbelievable like they weren't just stuff compiled off records it was like stuff completely for that I mean we had it's pre-internet so again this was like you know guys sitting that was one of our in early, the middle of Michigan yeah we got you know, like hey it's a it's got unleashed it's got loud blast it's got a fix and grave on it like t- TMA, that's great you know yeah. we played a TMS song from this when we did the TMS show yeah like the HNT or something I think off yeah. of yeah so I mean, yeah. it's you know this is when you appreciated getting a hold of those. I mean, I remember getting a hold of like the identity, the very first identity comp for the Century Media put out, and that was pretty like altering for me. You know, yeah, that, that's beyond you know it's a couple of years after this era, but still like you know. And I think I don't know if labels have that kind of. It seems like the the rosters at labels are a little bit more diverse. 
to where well, like you when you put something you know by all these bands on it's like man i like every single one of them well i think too like you know the problem with with extreme metal today is that it's it's over glutted you know century media sure. nuclear blast have signed every human being that can possibly play you know standard metal and it's it's really yeah. unfortunate because back then very few bands were doing it and the bands that were able to secure album deals like tiamat grave asphyx were, were cream of the crop type bands you mm-hmm. know Nowadays, there's there's a hundred bands on Century Media I don't ever want to hear. I have no interest whatsoever. They're crap. Well, that's they're kind of, second, third, fourth, fifth tier bands. Of, oh, sure. Of garbage. I know? mean, they're trying to, or even like that uh, liquor and poker sub label they have that's just all you know whatever. Yeah. Stuff that dropped off the face of the earth ten years ago. But some of these other labels, I can't think of the name right. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes or something. But the the guys that are doing like the Deputy Death Evocation, a lot of these underground acts that are really kind of tied into. Uh, what's you know the interesting stuff that's going on now, yeah. and not catering to crap. They're like it's more of like specialty like jazz labels. Sure, to where like we just put out you know free jazz from New York in this label or Chicago mm-hmm. or something. So it's like we just put out old school death metal. And for guys like us that are kind of more niche and, and picky, because I'm yeah. really picky about metal nowadays. You know, oh like, sure, um, I'm probably more grumpy about it than I ever used to be, and and I'm okay with that because it's it's sort of kind of a better quality control for me. Whereas I think back in like the, the youthful days of, of sort of later high school early college mm-hmm. we would buy almost everything that came out on century media or relapse or a lot of these labels before the whatever they got out. yeah yeah before the flood kind of happened and and then century media went on this buying binge where they they basically bought up as many bands as they could you know yeah when nuclear blast and like roadrunner all those people started kind of dropping the ball with metal blade metal blade is the same way yeah exactly a lot of garbage anything. a lot of garbage but uh one of the things you'll hear on like the rack, and I'm sure you heard when you, we were listening to Vermin, you'll you'll hear it in this the the next tune, uh, Wasteland of Terror, is the influence especially of the Hellhammer Celtic Frost type sound. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a sort of slowed down. Uh, what'd you say the the drop D tuning? It's, yeah, it's drop D or or below, and it's all. I think there's uh, very few t- uh, instances where the main riff is not just a power chord, mm-hmm. which is basically all Celtic Frost. Anybody that picks up a guitar and plays it for 20 minutes can figure out a Celtic Frost riff. Absolutely. Which there, I think there's a beauty to that simplicity, mm-hmm. and uh, outside of just the simplicity, the the guitar tone they get is it's almost akin to like you know Nathan's Madrigal kind of like just drenched in like old Dark Throne sound, Gosh. but it's warm. Yeah, they don't they don't completely kill all the all the low end out of it, mm-hmm. and uh, there's not a whole lot of death metal bands that can pull that off uh, to this effect. No, the, not at all. and that, that was the first thing that they have managed to do that, like to have this unbelievable atmosphere around it, and it's just catchier than hell. And, and Van Drunen's vocals. I was going to say, vocally, you know? I don't think there were there was really anybody at this time that was doing his type of vocals. I mean, they're almost like they're they're not they they hint towards what John Tardy at times would do with obituary. This sort of like guttural shriek at the same time as yeah. it was going low and it was like Wah! I mean just it almost over, seems like he's like uh, he's breathing in as he screams instead of breathing out which if that makes any sense but it, it's a wild vocal style and yeah. it really lends itself to kind of giving us fix a certain unique kind of sensibility I mean the thing is is when you first hear us fix like a, a tune like vermin you know which is you know kind of just mid pace and just kind of you know sounds Plotting. almost yeah, it's very plotting, but yet there's something unique about his fix. They they mm-hmm. sound so average on on initial listen, but the more you kind of delve into them, they've got these little kind of uh, unique eccentricities to like the well, way they distort the hell out of notes and bury them or and dive even the fact that they or, you know it, like they'll have some actually not complex things but more uh, uh, kind of transitional riffs 
where or like little noodling things that happen but it's always drenched in this fuzz this constant kind of like you know you're getting beat down you're on the battlefield just surrounded by shelling kind of thing these are just the little bits of things you hear through and i think one of the cool things about them is that they were a three-piece and there were very few three-piece death metal bands at this time you know because so much i think because bands like many weeks back we were talking about death uh you know death and morbid angel we were kind of like upping the ante of technicality and Mm -hmm. one aspect of death metal everyone wanted to sort of you know you couldn't have a a three-piece and be able to do some of the stuff that like the more technical death metal bands were doing so then you kind of would follow the repulsion you know or autopsy kind of roots of of some of this which is the you know stripped down dirty you know grungy you know entombed style stuff and really the only other three-piece we could kind of think of at the time was grave from sweden yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's probably one we're forgetting that's really obvious, but those are the those are the only ones I can think of as it was, fixed. It was definitely kind of an anomaly back at the time, especially when you you've got guys that are dealing with uh well that's I mean, that's the kind of riffs they were writing with stuff that you don't need another guitar to accent. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, you just drench them you and got, just go for it. You got the bass that's there just to fill the noise of the, you know, the wall of sound or whatever and that that was all you needed. Yeah. And so, but uh, you know, Anyways, we'll get back into some some tunage here, but we're gonna hear uh, the song that Mark was talking about from uh, in the uh, in the Eyes of Death in the Eyes of Death comp. Which if you can get a hold of, man, hey, more power I, to you. I, I sold it years ago, and then I pe- ended up getting it uh, a couple years. I think last year, uh, I just found an Amazon Marketplace for like twelve bucks really? or something. The original version is it's well worth getting. It's it's kind of a, a, a historical kind of moment yeah, in all time, of, if you will. And all of the song, nothing is from an album either. It's all uh, recording specifically for this yeah, thing, which is which pretty is nice. pretty hip. So, but we're gonna we're gonna bust out the that version of Wasteland of Terror, which you can find the the I mean I guess more produced version on the rack as well, right? Yeah, Wasteland and actually thing. on the live version of uh, Last One on Earth, the new double or not double, but just the the extended uh, reissue of that that came out has a live version of oh, it as doesn't. well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Which is from the Crush Sound FE. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then we're gonna hear a couple more tunes from uh, from the rack. We're gonna hear diabolical existence and the sickening dwell. And cro- close. We're gonna close out with uh, Crusher Cenotaph as well. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot we're throwing that in. So we'll talk more about Crusher Cenotaph when we come back. So enjoy Wasteland of Terror.
We just heard Crush the Cenotaph from, you guessed it, the Crush the Cenotaph EP. And then we heard The Sickening Dwell, Diabolical Existence, uh, both from The Rack. And we opened and, things uh, up with uh, Wasteland of Terror from the In the Eyes of Death compilation from 1991. That's it. And uh, Crush the Cenotaph uh, was the sort of in-between. That was the first one I got, I think. Was I it? think Chris had The Rack... Um, because these were like we almost buy at this point you'd buy anything on Central Media since you only had well we didn't buy like they had their, a limited roster at this point right? yeah they had I think they had uh, God who's that horror Iced Earth I think okay. they were one of the first ones as well and the, the cover was just like whoop no thanks uh, and so we went for all you know like uh, like Grave and Unleashed and mm-hmm. Tiamat and all that stuff so this was just kind of like the logical uh, you know progression and there's something kind of really nice about the old Century Media uh Discs, the 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 ink prints and some of the silvers and golds and different things that yeah. they would use are really incredible, and give it kind of a, a classy feel that I think haphazardly a lot of uh, record companies today don't kind of put that sort of level of quality into their product. Well, it's nice to see a consistency. I mean, it's like it's like Blue Note or it's like Four AD kind of like or even peaceful. You've got it's, a, it's kind of like that. In, yeah, the early stuff, yeah. especially. Um, but yeah, they got a level of quality, especially uh, like Relapse does this as well. But it's not as uh, Apparent, mm-hmm. I guess, because they, they go across as far. They don't have like a house style necessarily. Yeah, um, but sure. but they'll definitely even with things like a Gorefork newsbleed, they'll have. Well, hey, let's do it in a long box. Let's yeah. you know do stuff that like really kind of amps up what the uh, feeling they're trying to evoke out of this. And this all this old century media stuff just kind of evokes class. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and and really out of the the labels at this time, the only other label I can think that had that atmosphere to it was the early like uh, Rongian Records stuff. Yep. You know, where almost anything the, that came out on, on the war label was like, that, uh, what was that photographer's name? Is it Kenneth Johansson or something? Or that one? I that's that's a you question because he'd always use the Hasselblad equipment, which is you know the highest end uh, oh, really? photography stuff at the time because he, he did most of the photography for like you know Subterranean and Noggle Far Cover and oh, all gotcha. that kind of stuff, Eucharist, so. Mirror Worlds, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, but uh, you know, so the Crush the Center staff, you were saying this is the first thing you and Chris got. I think it's the first thing I got. I think Chris picked up the rack. I, I got that shortly thereafter. But, uh, yeah, that was – I was fascinated. I mean, it was a fantastic cover, too. And I think at this time we did – the time that came out, I believe we did uh, in one of the old Requiem magazines uh, an interview with uh, – Axel Herman, right? Oh, well, oh, Asphyx, and we too. also did, yeah, an interview with Axel Herman, who did uh, who did basically all Asphyx's artwork as well. Yeah. And he's got a kind of unique style as well. And we were trying to brainstorm, and we couldn't remember, like, who... I know, he did a bunch of other ones. I'm just totally... Spa- oh, he did the Tiamat. No, he didn't. That was Necrolord, wasn't it? Kristen Wallen did a lot of the Tiamat stuff. Yeah, I don't Necrolord. know if he did the first the first Tiamat or not, the Astral Sleep. I can't remember. We'll I think look. he did, but yeah, I mean, he's he's a fairly prolific guy. I know he's done a, a ton of stuff. We did an interview Was he, him. like, a house artist for Century Media? Did he do some of the Century Media stuff? Is that where he kind of mainly did? I think he did quite a bit of Century Media stuff. I, I don't think he was specifically for them, but he was just like you know one of those kind of like you know like Dan Seagrave working with you know Earache or something. Yeah. I think. But I remember reading that Requiem. You know, mm-hmm. I had the interview with him and stuff like that. But um, and at the time, of course, I had no idea who he was or why you guys. Were yeah, it was kind of just cover artists. <laughs> yeah, between him and uh, Dan Seagrave, they were kind of like the two you know uh, predominant. You know, kind of like really high-end death metal. Kind of like Pusshead for Thrash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Crush the Cenotaph. Like Derek is, Riggs for yeah. heavy metal. There you go. Uh, Crush the Cenotaph, I think this is the first song I ever heard from these guys, and this is like kind of what I began to associate Asphyx with mm-hmm. until I p- ended up picking up the rack and, and last one on Earth. And uh, the intro to Crush the Cenotaph has such an interesting like guitar tone to it. It's almost like... 
a, a guitar riff swimming through mud in a weird way. It's uh, yeah, they really. I mean, the guys aren't virtuoso players by any stretch of the imagination, no. but they know how to make really interesting noise. I mean, uh, Eric Daniels, that. in a weird way, is is gotta be like um, kind of an innovate. In a guitar innovative genius, you know, in the same way that um, Tom G. Warrior, Tom G. Warrior, in a bath. Yeah, I mean, guys. Yeah, guys that they they figure out how to play things that that suit their style, even though it's not technically correct. Mm-hmm. But uh, nobody, I mean, nobody sounds like them. Yeah, I mean, they. they I think <clears throat> what they did is they took the Celtic Frost. Uh, lead a little bit differently than Obituary, which was straight Celtic Frost, except you just down tune it a little bit. Yep. And I, I think Asphyx really kind of added something their own to that. They muddied that it up and, and kind of, you know, they brought in other influences. It's like texture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of the bands like Necrophagia and, and you know, Massacre and stuff were kind of name dropped on their website as being like, you know, old influences for them. And mm-hmm. uh, Infernal Majesty. Well, they were heavily influenced by thrash stuff as well. Sure. So I think that's where the whole element of the catchiness. And, and there's think, like a lot of grind kind of feels yeah. to this as well. Oh, sure. And I think you'll hear that thrash stuff come up, especially in the next set of music that we're going to be playing mm-hmm. because they, they really kind of essentially start to establish. Um, a groove, which I was I was commenting back uh, like three or four months ago, Decibel did a feature on slam metal, which is sort of like almost this, the where they take all the grooves of death metal and they just take all the other filler stuff out and just do the groove. It's the part w- of it. wigger metal kind of. Yeah, exactly. Thing, yeah. You know, give it away uh, or whatever name. But but it, in a way, it, as Fix was doing like their own version of that before there was even this concept that like Dying Fetus or any of these other bands did. Yeah, like but it's almost like a hip hop rhythm to to some of the riffs that you'll hear in like MS Bismarck and the Crusher, where yeah. it just sort of like. You just you but can there's feel that, the groove. And there's that no time is there like where everything drops out though. There's there's always no that's noise true. like that. No, we're just where the drums drop out and then, you know do some kind of like yep. mosh beat or whatever. Yeah. But. No, and they never break into like they never do blast beats. They never do anything that's a little bit of double bass and yeah. I, there's no blast beats on any of this stuff anywhere to be seen. It's yeah. very kind of it's made pace you know I'll like Bolthor I guess that's I, was gonna say, I always that's, thought they were kind of like the spir- cousin to Bolthor spiritual brothers uh, yeah brother and, from another mother from Bolthor <laughs> and that's part of what the interesting connection of probably why they looked at, at you know using Martin as the replacement vocalist yeah. when Carl left Bolthor for a while which yeah when I first heard that I was like wow I really like you know Van Dernan's style but man that doesn't seem like it'd work with, with Bolthor but you know, I, I can totally see where they're coming from. Kind of makes sense, you know. So in that same way, like, and that was one of the reasons why I think both Asphyx and both of sound is so great live, mm-hmm. is because they have this mid-paced sound that's not overly technical, but it's it's warm and there's this resonance of the riffs that sort of like hit you sonically. Every it, it lets you digest riff. stuff. Yeah, it's not just being like here's riff, 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 riff. You know, being thrown at you constantly. Like I remember seeing Emperor live, and I mean I love Emperor like no other. But at the same time, it's like it was like getting beaten into a like it was like being trapped in a closet with like fifteen cats or something, just like flying well, and, and all I over think the place. Some of that stuff and, doesn't lend itself to be. I mean, like Emperor should really be done in like a concert hall. With really nice miking and yeah, like so. Asphyx can pretty much you could have the worst sound guy in the world. They play still, in the basement, and be awesome. They'll still yeah. sound all right, yeah. yeah. And that, that's my thing with like any kind of that super technical stuff. The last couple of Emperor records, while they're interesting, I still like the old stuff where there's a little bit more, or the older stuff. I guess like in the night side is kind of the cutoff point for me, and the other stuff is good, but it's still starting to get a little bit over bombastic. Well, it's not just that, but I think you know, like like a like look at a band like the Beatles who at a certain point like in 1964, 1965 just said, "Look, if we can't translate what we want to do in the studio, our our musical like ideas, we're no mm-hmm. no longer going to play live." 
Yeah. And, I th- and, and, and I have a lot of respect for a band that says, look, we want to craft things like a Brian Wilson Beach Boys. Sure. I mean, yeah, we I can want understand to, that. We want to make this in an artistic way. You know, Trent Reznor, or, you know, Kevin Shields and My Bloody Valentine mm-hmm. construct these layers. And I think Esau was doing that with Emperor. But I think, unfortunately, there's this like pressure to, to still be like a live touring band. And it, it just didn't sound great. I mean, I saw Emperor twice in that era, like mm-hmm. 98, 97-ish era. And it was just a muddled mess. Now, granted, recent times, some of their live stuff, uh, like you just picked up a live um, stuff from that Inferno oh, the Fest, Inferno, right? and it's, yeah, I think there's like a walk-in, uh, it's a double walk-in disc. Thing. Yeah. And it's it's good, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, there's a clearness to their sound. I think they finally figured out how to, like, <laughs> do that stuff live. You know? Yeah, how to get a good sound guy and have, you know... And so I think there's three two, guitarists two different ways to do, like to do bands you know you can do it the bolt throwers fix sort of working man kind of working mm-hmm. man's riff kind of way and be like that just great life kind of band with simpleness but if you're going to be overly technical and, and stuff you either got to like strap on some headphones and be a studio band or you got to find some sort of way to some way to pull it off cut, cut through that stuff. yeah so but uh anyways you know the the next set we're going to get into is, is stuff from their their second record last one on earth and what what would you say would be i guess the primary difference between you know this record and say like the debut the rack which we just heard a set of music from well it was well this came out basically a year later uh it came out in 1992 they added uh van Dronen stopped playing bass and they got uh ron van pole uh to have a as, as the other bass player so they you know opened up to a four piece and uh, I mean, basically, just from purely uh, like a sonic aspect, there's much more. There's more noise. It seems like there's even more uh, kind of like they're not concerned with having a, a clear, a clear sound, but rather like okay, we're gonna set. It's almost like a, like a metronome of of fuzz in the background. Then we're gonna slowly punctuate this with a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of catchiness, I guess. Sure. But the whole thing is just completely all encompassing. I mean, it's all, it's like it has like that My Bloody Valentine feel, but. If my bloody Valentine was singing about war, yeah, and, and they didn't, depraved. and they kind of accidentally stumbled upon like, like I don't think they're like studio wizardry geniuses or anything like Kevin oh, Shields no. is, but I think they have this idea and it, it sort of like accidentally comes together in a really, it's yeah, cool. almost like some of the like the old Dark Throne where it sounds like okay, let's turn on the electric razor, yeah. put it right next to the microphone, and then we're gonna let's play some riffs over the top of it. See what happens. Yeah, yeah. Fix was really good at that, the you yeah, know, that style of stuff, and I think. One of the interesting stories about this is the guy they brought in, uh, Ron Von Paul, he was meant to be Van Drunnen's replacement because as they like had just gotten done recording the vocals, they kicked Van Drunnen out of the band. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they were going to have Ron redo the vocals, but they were pretty, they were kind of like, well, we're kind of happy with the vocals <laughs> that Martin Van Drunnen did, so we decided to sort of leave them. So they were intended to be recorded by, by him, but some of the other members kind of thought that... Uh, well, you know, <laughs> we'll we'll keep it. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, but I think even the, the lyrics are Van Drunnen's as well, which is kind of yeah. Like, I think he wrote lyrics all all the way along, and I'm sure like that probably ticked him off a little bit that you know like he was kicked out of the band, but they used all his stuff. I'm sure there was some bad blood through the years between these guys, and it took them. A I while think it was a lot of it being a lot of like stuff. I mean some 16, 17, 18, 19 year old like the, this is just teenage squabbling kind of sure. crap. Yeah, and uh, now that they look back, I mean, you know, the band uh, since since then the band's reformed with, uh, uh, you know, Bob Backus, the basically the founding member of it, uh, with Van Drunnen, and then uh, one is Gibbles, uh, bassist from Soulburn, which was what his fix became okay. in two thousand, 
And then uh, Paul Bands, uh, the ex-Cremation and Thanatos, and he's also in Hail of Bullets, yeah. guitar player, yeah. has reprised uh, Asphyx, which is, uh, the new one is, what is it, Death, dot, 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 The Brutal Way. Yeah, I we'll mean, talk a little bit more about that before <laughs> we come back. So, But anyways, let's get into a, let's get into a nice little set here. Um, MS Bismarck and The Crusher are both these sort of groove metal kind of things. But then we're going to hear uh, Serenade and Lead. And as fix the forgotten war, uh, what are what are your thoughts on those last two tunes? Anything in particular to Serenade Lead? I mean, it seems kind of straightforward at first, but that, they throw some really kind of oddball uh, riffs, some really nice catchy stuff in that one. And then with uh, as fix the forgotten war is almost like kind of the uh, part two of the rack. Which it's we'll, like this, we'll hear, yeah, yeah, like this big kind of epic thing that the rack more so, but a song that could be held out for 25, 30 minutes while they're rallying up the crowd and everything. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely kind of like uh, the the Bolt Thrower trilogy, a World Eater kind of Cenotaph, yeah, the, the kind of just you know, actually, there's five, rack. I think, after listening to some of the other ones, there's one off of Mercenary, I think, that you barely even hear the beginning of it where it comes it's in, got a little bit off. there, yeah, yeah, so but, anyways, enjoy uh, MS Bismarck and the Crusher. Followed by Serenade Lead and Asphyx, the Forgotten War. Take the road and 
That was this fix, The Forgotten War, Serenade in Lead. Great title. And The Crusher. With a K, not a C. Yeah. Crush. Like Orange Crush. That's right. Uh, and MS Bismarck started things Do you know off. the story behind the MS Bismarck, since you're a history um, teacher? Well, you know, obviously it's a... Uh, it's a it's a ship of some sort. I can't remember if it's a submarine or just a battleship of sorts, but uh, I do not know. The some story. World War II thing. I, I imagine the guys kind of got hard on about that. There is a there is a teacher at my school who those are my students who listen to this podcast will will know immediately who I'm talking about. Who teaches a class called 20th Century Conflicts, and he's uh he's pretty. Maybe he could get a Vendron to come in to do a talk. That's true. He's he's <laughs> super super knowledgeable on tanks and, and guns and all that kind of stuff and that's not my my mo i'm a social history kind of guy um you know kind of big picture type stuff so so yeah so i i take the fifth i know i'll look it okay up. i'm sure you know i do know bismarck's named after though otto von bismarck the yes, german yeah. chancellor in the 19th century so i can tell you a lot about him but that's about it we'll say that for another podcast but uh we're gonna kind of <laughs> close things out we hope you've uh you've enjoyed your introduction to Sphix. i'm sure there's a lot of people out there who were kind of in the boat that i was a couple of years ago yeah and never really heard his fix and uh the the more i listen to them the more they're just a pleasant listen i mean it's just something you can kind of drive around the summertime with your windows down and just kind and, of yeah believe it or not out, you know it's something that if on, the, on the surface it seems really kind of that some of the songs could be derivative yeah, like, why are you playing simple? So, too, yeah, but too, once yeah. you listen to these things over and over again, there's a lot of like little subtleties in it that you're not hearing immediately. Yeah, and I think the song we picked towards the end is is the most one of the most dynamic songs that Sphix does, and I think a wonderful way to sort of like illustrate how they can kind of build like this doomy, gloomy kind of slow with like three riffs. You know, almost like a winter iceberg kind of, you yeah. know, uh, moving towards you, a glacier kind of effect. And then they kind of groove into it. And you know, that's it's, something it's on, cool. on the rack is that uh, it's, it's not even so much the notes, but it's the space between the notes to let this, I mean, this distortion just like completely engulfs you. It's uh, unbelievable sound. So, yeah. It's uh, and this is sort of their epic tune. This is what they close their set with uh, Marilyn with. So it's yep. kind of appropriate that we kind of close things out here. And this is a tune, the self-titled tune, uh, or not self-titled, but for the record, the rack. And um, let us know what you think. You know, shoot us an email, requiempodcast at gmail dot com, or go to uh, requiempodcast.com where we can actually we'll have links to all the uh, Amazon affiliate links. That if you'd like to maybe order a couple of these, if these are tooting your fancy. Sure. Uh, go on to Amazon and uh, you know get these and it'll give us a little bit of kickback to help our operating costs. Yeah, and uh, drop us a note on iTunes. We're looking for uh, we're looking for feedback. We want to know what you think, what you like, what you want more of, what you want less of, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, which one of us you think is is better looking? You know, I mean, all those well, kind of things. That's that's a, not a, even an issue, but it's, it's Mark. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyways, well, we're uh, also we should. Uh, Finally, get a hold of us on Facebook too. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm Mark Rudolph, and you're Jason Honey on Facebook, right? Yeah, and I think actually this summer I plan to actually create a Requiem Facebook, just just kind of so we can throw, you know, so fans can just go there, so they don't mm-hmm. flood yours or mine because yours works as like uh, for your comic site and for you know. And yeah, it's, doing. It's, so, it's both. I don't so, really put a whole lot of personal stuff on mine. Yeah. It's more of a business kind of and thing. And so we'll, we'll probably create one this uh, pretty soon here. But no, that's a lot of people's preferred method of communication. So uh, Then we could be cyber friends in the interweb. <laughs> so, But you can also check for updates there because I always post them. That's true. That's true. But, so we hope you uh, enjoy The Rack, uh, a beautiful song about torture. Yes, yeah, not about female anatomy at all. So No. 
Uh, for Recommend the Podcast, I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. Yeah!